the Jets get ready to transition from OTAs to minicamp, and plenty of fans are none too happy. I'm Glenn Norton with Jet Nation Radio and JetNation.com. Be sure to log into JetNation.com where you can register and become a part of what is the most active Jets message board on the web. So the Jets have finished their OTA period of the offseason. They get ready to roll into minicamp. And Rich Samini of ESPN New York reports that Makai Becton, while he is expected to be present at minicamp, will not be a participant. Some fans are pretty upset. Others are more understanding. Both fans, both sides, have a valid point. So why do the fans who are upset at Makai Becton have a valid point? Let me rephrase that. If you're upset at Makai Becton, you don't have a valid point. Makai Becton is a guy who had Greg Van Roten thrown onto the back of his leg and knocked out for what now may be close to a year. Where you could be upset, rightfully, is at the team. Now, is it the team? Is it the team doctors? Whoever it was that thought it was a good idea to tell the fans Makai Becton would miss five to eight weeks. Because it appears Makai Becton will miss 45 to 48 weeks. That's the more realistic time frame. That's not Makai Becton's fault. Makai Becton was optimistic. He was he was on Twitter telling fans he was hoping to get into some game action before the season closed out. While the team was telling us, oh, we're unsure week to week. We don't know. We're not sure. I spoke to an orthopod who has been in the field for many years and told me, you know, for those of you who don't know, I, I did I spent some time working in the medical field, in the military. I'm not pretending I have the, the expertise here, but I do know some people who have the expertise. Contacted an orthopedic who I worked with, and he said, you know, that unrealistic time frame, and really this team should have been, now that this is me saying, based on the conversation with him, this team should have been more forthcoming and and, and let us know that this was not going to be a five- to eight-week injury, and that this was always... This always had the possibility of being a full season on the shelf. Had the team been more upfront about that right off the bat, I don't think teams would be as upset or fans would be as upset. But when the team tells you five to eight weeks and then it tends to be 40 weeks, there are some fans who are going to look at the player and say, well, it's your fault that it took this long. Do a quick search online. Look at recovery times for dislocated kneecap surgery. I did a quick one, and it kind of aligned with what the, the orthopod I spoke to said. Basically, you're looking at six months until you start activity again if, for athletic activity. Now, getting up, moving, walking, stretching, yeah, you might be able to do that after a few weeks. But in terms of athletic activity, you're looking at up to six months. And now this is where the what, George, what Joe Douglas and Robert Sala have said comes into play, Makai Becton's size. You know, the, the, the standards, the expectations for patient recovery are written based on the, uh, you know, the expectation of a normal human being, of which Makai Becton is not when you talk about his size. So the fact that the average person would need six months to return to athletic activity, it makes a little bit more sense that it's taking Makai Becton this long. So me personally, I'm not upset at Makai Becton. Now, if you want to be mad that he put some weight on during his rehab, absolutely. That shouldn't have happened. But it did, and even if it hadn't, his rehab was still going to be greater than six months. So as I said, this whole thing is avoided if the Jets are up front right off the bat and say, look, this guy has an injury that could require surgery. If he needs the surgery, we're looking at minimum six months. That brings us into the offseason. Then we will want to bring him along slowly from there. So it could be till training camp next year when we see him again. And then everybody would be more understanding. But when you put it out there that it's five to eight weeks and then at the end of the season you let it leak that he put on some weight, fans start looking at it and saying, oh, this guy could have been back. At, maybe, maybe he would have been back after five to eight weeks if he hadn't gained that weight. 
Not the case at all. Not a realistic expectation. I don't know if it was the Jets medical staff, the Jets coaching staff, who decided to get, to release that time frame publicly, but it appears it was never really a realistic option. And that they should have been upfront about that from the beginning. And perhaps they're at a point now where they're saying, you know what, let's let Makai do his thing in Texas. Let's let him do his rehab there. And when, when he's here in the building, we will bring him along slowly so as to not re-injure the kneecap when he's back because he will not be that far removed from the six-month time frame. I understand where it's frustrating if you look at it and say, well, they said five to eight weeks. We're now going to be at seven, eight months. He should be ready to go full speed by now, which makes sense, right? Isn't that a logical, it's a logical expectation until you speak to people in the field or if you, you know, look, look at a little bit of stuff online in terms of recovery times, six months minimum, and now you're talking about a 350, 360, 70 pound human being, that six months really should be seven, eight, nine months until they're ready to resume activity. So don't be mad at Makai Becton. I understand the frustration, but I personally more frustrated with the team for not being more forthcoming. Um, and it's possible they expected, you know, they didn't think the injury was that severe. Maybe they thought he wouldn't require surgery, but if memory serves, the surgery decision didn't take months to come to. That that happened relatively quickly. Uh, but the team still led, you know, kept saying, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see, when really they should have said, Makai's had surgery, we're shutting him down for the year, and that would have been the end of it. Some people are mad at Makai. Some people are mad at the team. I Listen, I would lean more on it being the team's fault for not being more forthcoming. But at the same time, what good is it going to do? Anyone getting upset at the team, at Makai. Makai's putting in the work. I still see people saying, you know, oh, he's lazy, he's a bust. Which, by the way, just to throw this out there, I used the forums on JetNation.com. I threw it out there on Twitter just to get a feel. Like, what percentage of Jet fans have really given up on Makai Becton? Who who really believes Makai Becton is a bust at this point? It's a really low number. It's the, the Jet Nation poll... 10%, the Twitter poll, 2%, even if we settle somewhere in the middle, let, let's err high and say 7%. 7%. Let, let's, let's go the highest, 10 If 10% of fans think Makai Becton's a bust, that it's, it's, it's the silent majority, folks, right? It's, it's the, the very vocal minority who give the appearance that things are a lot more, you know, or a lot worse than they are. If you went on Twitter, you would think 90% of fans have given up on Makai Becton. That's because the calmer, more rational people who want to give him a chance don't feel the need to say anything. They're just going to sit back and wait, which is the logical thing to do. It's the it, it, it's the fanatics who are being a little bit irrational and saying that he's done. They're the ones doing the most talking, so it feels like that's the prominent opinion, which it clearly is not. Um, and why shouldn't Jets fans be worried about Makai Becton's durability? I listen. There are there are some concerns. I'm not saying there's nothing there, but look at his year one. He missed a handful of games. And due largely to the fact that, and I've touched on this before, he got injured and he had a coaching staff to put him back on the field before he was ready and re-aggravated the injury. So really, with a more competent coaching staff, he probably misses less time as a rookie. Probably only misses a few games. And then year two, when an old lineman gets tossed onto the back of his leg, nobody's built for that. I don't care how big you are. I don't care if you weigh 350, 400, 450, 500. Nobody is built to have their the back of their leg have a 300-pound human being thrown on it while you're in the process of, of backpedaling and blocking. Of course that blew up his leg. And he's going to miss the time. And he's missed the time. He's doing the rehab. 
biggest screw up here was the Jets releasing the information in terms of how much time he was going to miss. My expectation, Makai Becton's going to come to camp. Makai Becton's going to be down 30, 40 pounds in much better shape. He'll do whatever the Jets ask him while he's there. And by the time training camp rolls around, he'll be ready to go. So uh, for those of you on Twitter who mistake questioning the team for criticizing Makai, not the case. Um, as I've said, you know, I, I said right away yesterday, I tweeted out that Smini said it and that fans weren't going to be happy, which they were not. Um, and I followed that up immediately, making it clear my take was that I'm not upset with Makai Becton. I'm upset that the team was, was so wrong, was so off. Now, did they lie? Were they incompetent? I don't know. All I know is they were wrong by an awful lot. They said five weeks, reality 30 plus weeks, probably 45 weeks. Um, so they were off by a lot, but you know, that's, I don't think it's unreasonable for fans to be less than thrilled with that. Um, some other topics I wanted to cover real quick, touched on this week on JetNation.com. A few veteran players, if you look at the roster, the Jets roster heading into next year, and you know, the reason to do that right now is kind of take a look at who, who's playing for a big payday next year, um, who may not earn it if they don't play well enough, Right. Because, yeah, I get, oh, Glenn, it's about the 2022 season. Why are we looking ahead to 2023? I'm looking ahead to 2023 because I want to know which guys in 2022 are looking at the looking at their paycheck and thinking, man, if I don't if I don't ball out this year, I'm going to look at a huge pay cut next year. Because we all know that's a motivating factor, right? We always talk about guys who have that big year before they hit free agency. This isn't a lot different. When you have a guy who's under contract, if he's due a huge payday next year, he's aware of that. And he knows that he's got to earn that this year. So the three big names, and really I'll throw in a fourth, C.J. Mosley, Carl Lawson, Corey Davis. And the, the, the fourth would be John Franklin Myers. Now, C.J. Mosley is a guy who probably has the most to worry about because he doesn't play that premium position. He is getting a little bit older, and he does have the biggest cap hit on the roster. He's due to make $18 million next year. And if he's cut, the team saves fifteen. So barring an all-pro season, C.J. Mosley... <clears throat> excuse me, I would imagine is going to be looking at either being released or at the very at the very least renegotiating his deal, which he may be willing to do because all the Jets have to do is make him a competitive offer, offer him something similar to what they think the open market would get him. <coughs> Pardon me. Offer him what the open market would get him, and there's no reason why he shouldn't hang around. Uh, Carl Lawson... Edge rusher, of course, missed all of last season. He's due $15 million next year. Carl Lawson has never had a double-digit sack season. I think he's got to produce one this year if he, want, if he wants that $15 million next year. He's got enough talent around him to work with. He's going to be working on the edge, but he's going to have Quinn and Williams, JFM. He's going to have Sheldon Rankins on the inside, uh, Jermaine Johnson, Michael Clemens on the outside, kind of putting putting offenses in a situation where they can't double a lot of guys. If this is, of course, if Johnson and Clemens sort of live up to their expectations. So Lawson, you know, barring a big year from him, you know, 12, 13 sack season, which he's never done before. And it's not as if he's played on bad defensive lines. He has he plays with some great players up front in Cincinnati. So he didn't do it then. Can he do it now? Is this a more aggressive scheme? Will he be in position to do that? We'll have to wait and see. But if Carl Lawson doesn't have a big year next year, then he could find himself in trouble. Corey Davis. What makes Corey Davis interesting, there's a few things at play here. One is the escalating salaries of wide receivers. Because while $11 million seems like a lot for Corey Davis, if he goes out and has an eight or 900-yard season, 
or even a 700-yard season with a few touchdowns, depending on how the ball is distributed in this offense. I mean, they have so many targets, you may not have one guy who blows it up. But if Corey Davis does enough, he could hang around for $11 million. He could be a bargain. However, if Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, Braxton Berrios, C.J. Uzama, Tyler Conklin, if all those guys are enough, if they produce enough, that the Jets feel like they can score points without Corey Davis, why pay him that $11 million if you don't need him? Um, so that's it, 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 I can see an argument both ways where he's likely to be back, where he can be a bargain at $11 million, but I could also see where he's unlikely because he may not be a need at that point. And when you're projected to only have $12 million in cap space, the Jets will likely be looking to make some moves somewhere. John Franklin Myers is the other big one. He's due, I believe, $11-$12 million. But I think, I think due to his versatility, he'll still hang around. A lot of Jets fans got on John Franklin Myers last year because his production dipped after he got his contract in terms of sacks. I understand that. But as I've said many times since then, look at the pressures. Look at the QB hits. You don't luck into those things. Those things don't happen by accident. No, you don't get points for them in fantasy football. No, they're not as exciting and they don't get the big celebrations. But they do impact plays. And if you can hit the quarterback often enough, pressure the quarterback often enough, you do have some value. And that's where a guy like John Franklin Myers. And the same goes for Carl Lawson. Um, if you impact enough plays, when the coaches and GM, when they sit down and, and you know review the season and they, they can see that you're impacting the, the, the opposing offense and forcing negative plays, then you have that much more of a chance to hang around. So I expect John Franklin Myers to be the least likely guy to go. Uh, Mosley, again, barring a, a reworked deal um, or an absolutely all-time, all-pro season, I don't see how he hangs around at $18 million. That's just too much for him at this point. But speaking of Corey Davis and some of the other guys on the offense, I wanted to touch briefly on the the weapons. I know we've talked about this a million times, and we are at that point in the offseason where you start kind of re-looking at things you've already looked at before um, because there are only so many storylines, right? But the thing that jumped out to me about Zach Wilson and the weapons they've surrounded him with was looking at the other day I was watching a late-season game and... I, I forgot, listen, when you have these terrible seasons, you want to put them behind you as soon as possible and, and spend as little time as you can thinking about it because it's so miserable. But in looking at this this team late in the year last season, you had, you know, Zach Wilson, you saw the, the completion percentage go up. You saw the improved touchdown to interception ratio. You saw the much better protection of the football. You saw him use his legs a little bit more too, which was big. But you just saw sort of improved play across the board. The biggest thing to me, I think the first game I mentioned it, I could be wrong, but the first game, one of the first games where it jumped out at me maybe was Philly, where the ball was just coming out quick. Like Zach Wilson on that day to me looked like a different quarterback. And I thought, oh, this it, it's coming together for this guy now. It's slowing down because he's much quicker. He's much more decisive. And we saw that as the season went on. But if you look at what he was working with late in the year, and wondering, and maybe wondering why the production wasn't that great, you have to look at the fact that, you know, he was working with Keelan Cole, Braxton Berrios, Tariq Black, Kyler Croft, or Tyler Croft, Kenny Yaboa. And listen, I'm a big Kenny Yaboa guy. Praised him before the Jets signed him. Liked what I saw from him at Ole Miss. Braxton Berrios, I think, is going to be a factor for a few years. I think he's got great chemistry with Zach. But these aren't number one guys. When those are your top targets with Tariq Black and Tyler Croft and Keelan Cole, I don't know how much you can expect from a quarterback. So, I mean, how night and day will this offense be in terms of 
in terms of weapons for Zach Wilson, when you go from Tyler Croft on one side, Braxton Berrios on the other, and Kenny Yaboa as, as one of your tight ends and Tyler Croft, and you go from that to getting Elijah Moore back on the field, getting Garrett Wilson on the field, introducing Tyler Conklin, CJ Uzama, and let's not forget the running backs who were both really good pass catchers in Brees Hall and Michael Carter. So, you know, and, you know, Carter missed some time last year. So Zach Wilson really did what he did last year, you know, showed the, the quicker release, the more decisive, uh, the more decisive play, the improved production, all of that, despite this drop, this significant drop in talent around him. So now, and, and that's without even discussing the offensive line. That's not without talking about without a guy like Lakin Tomlinson, who is, should be a huge lift. For this offense. I mean, Zach Wilson, really, if, if this old line comes together, should be able to run some fantastic play action because the Jets should be able to run the ball at will and they've got the receivers to keep defenses honest as long as Zach Wilson can be even good early on. He doesn't have to be great. Just hit on enough throws to these receivers to, to keep defenses honest and then be able to run it up front with, with again, with the addition of Lake and Tomlinson with hopefully... The return of Makai Becton. So there's really a lot here for Zach Wilson to work with, which I understand. This isn't, you know, this isn't earth-shattering news. We've been talking about this since the draft. But look at what they what Zach Wilson was working with last year, and it really makes that improvement that much more impressive. Those steps that he took. And if you have the time, if you've got if you've got an account, NFL.com, Game Pass, um, take the time to go watch some of those late season games. Zach Wilson's final, you know, four, five, six starts of the year, and then compare it to the first couple weeks. Even watch week, watch one one week from you know anywhere from weeks one through four, and then compare it to one of his last starts of the season. Different guy, more decisive, more accurate. We didn't see him dirting screen passes and swing passes. He was on target with those, which will be huge. With again, with Brees Hall, Michael Carter, and whoever the third back is, I would imagine it's going to be Zonovan Knight. But Ty Johnson will be in the mix. Whether or not, you know, that that's a, that's another conversation for another time with added talent. There will be guys who made the bottom of the roster last year, bottom of the depth chart, who won't be around next year. So plenty to discuss in, in terms of that. But we will, we'll have a lot to talk about with, with, with minicamp coming up. Not sure how much access reporters are going to have, but news will be coming back regularly. And then before you know it, training camp, we hopefully, the expectation is JetNation.com. We'll have some folks out there. I am a very unlikely uh, presence, but uh, we do have some folks. Uh, Dylan Terriman, Alex Varallo. Be sure to follow them on Twitter, NYJetsLife24, and D Terriman, or at D Terriman on Twitter. Check them out on Jet Nation Radio. As I've said before, they do the night show. I do this one. And we uh, we got a lot coming up. A lot. I'm sure there will be plenty of conversations about Makai Becton in the near future. And there will be plenty of talk about Zach Wilson and his progression with these, his progress with these new and improved targets. Don't buy into these, you know, Zach's having a bad day when you're talking OTAs, new receivers, new offense, getting the rust off. None of that means a whole lot of anything. But there are some, there are some positives coming out of camp. Uh, another thing we covered on JetNation.com, Jason Pinnock, the safety out of Pitt. 
who was drafted as a corner, moved to safety last year. We've discussed him apparently making some big plays in training camp along with fellow safety Ashton Davis. If those two guys could come into their own and help solidify that secondary, that would be huge. More on that in the coming weeks, months, and year. So that'll do it for us right now. Short one today. Just want to touch a little bit on Makai and a little bit on the comparison between the weapons Zach Wilson had last year to what he's got this year. It is night and day. And hopefully, we'll be able to say the same about the results when the season wraps up. I'm Glenn Norton with Jet Nation Radio, JetNation.com. Take care, Jets fans.